What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Ectoplasm Show. My name is Josh Hurd, and joining me is my partner in crime, Mr. Jason Kupsik. What is up, sir? I feel like I have quite a bit of Tenny swimming around in my head right now because I have binged all of his podcasts and everything since we booked him for the show. Absolutely. That's the way it should be. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited to have him on. Um, how's it going, John? It's going good. Now Now you scare me, knowing that you've listened to all the podcasts. <laughs> I, 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 honestly, I listened to as much as I could. <laughs> um, but I did listen to at least a little bit of all of them, except for you, your comedy one. I didn't get to that one. Oh, uh, the, uh, are you talking about The Oddest? No, I saw one called Tenko that said it was a comedy show. Oh, yeah, that's like where when I do one and two off podcasts, I throw them all under that kind of subheading. So there's like actually three or four different shows, and I only did maybe like two episodes each. Nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I have it on my iPod. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I do have to ask, since you're a Michigan boy and I'm actually wearing a hockey jersey, are you a Red Wings fan? Uh, I am a non-sports person. Non-sports person. <laughs> that's all right. We're pretty much in the That's same about boat. about the only sport that I like is hockey, so I had to ask. I mean, I often, everybody, every single one of my friends is a, is a Red Wings person, and I go down, when I go down to Detroit, I mean, it's hockey town down there, you know what I mean? So <laughs> in, you're in, inundated with it constantly. <laughs> and I know just enough to, to, if I'm sitting at the bar by myself and someone's talking about it, I can make it seem like I know what's going on. Okay. <laughs> So well, I, do it. I, I'm currently having an affair with them with my on my wife, so <laughs> I think that's why she hates them so much. Anyways, um, I wanted to ask you if you would tell us and our listeners how you got the nickname Trout, uh, and if anybody yeah. still calls you that. Uh, so yes, there are still a few handful of people that call me Trout, and I can actually determine. Like, if they've known me for a long time, they probably still call me Trout. So they probably met me when I was about 15 years old. The bartender at the dive bar that I go to still calls me Trout. Nice. I don't even really know if he knows my name is John. <clears throat> but uh, I was working one of my first jobs, uh, and I went on a lunch break with friends. We were driving down this kind of major road called Woodward Avenue, and something hit the windshield of our car. And we got out of the car, uh, went back to see what it was, and there was a trout laying in the middle of the road. What the hell? Now, we live uh, in, in Michigan. You're never any, any further than about uh, five or six miles away from a lake. But there are no lakes near this area, uh, no bodies of water. And so I picked up this fish and took it back to work with me and tacked it on my name board. And someone erased John, wrote trout. <laughs> And uh, it just stuck from there. There it was. <laughs> I I actually had a very unfortunate nickname when I was a kid. Well, not a kid so much as in high school. And I don't even know if Josh knows this. I, I was don't. called Nutsack for a while because nice. it's <laughs> what they sounded like. They said my name, Jason Nutsack, over the intercom, and it just stuck. But I ran with it. I'm so. using <laughs> this until the day I die. <laughs> oh, my God. But that was, you know... Getting that's kind of it was, it was strange that my life has turned out the way it is because now I'm involved with all this weird paranormal and Fortean phenomena and one of the things that people talk about all the time are fish falls. Yeah, you know when it'll rain fish, and so somehow or another a fish fell out of the sky and hit the car that I was in. So maybe it was preordained that my life was going to end up being pretty strange. That's good stuff. 
That is good stuff. So, um, I did see that you are cast as an extra in the upcoming Batman versus Superman movie, and I, I heard you mention that you're wearing a pretty purple hat in it. <laughs> I am indeed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, one of my friends, they filmed that here, and one of my friends said they needed extras, and I'm a comic book geek from way back. And uh, so I was like, yeah, definitely I want to do this. So I filmed for two days, and I was standing in a crowd of people, and I realized at some point that I was going to get lost in that crowd shot. And there was this girl <laughs> I had seen earlier who had a, a stupid purple hat. She had put it in her pocket and quaffed her hair and made herself look all good. And I said, do you have that purple hat in your pocket? And she goes, yeah. And I said, give it to me. I stuck it on my head, so at least if there's a sweeping crowd shot for a second, if you see a stupid purple hat in the middle of it, it's, it's me. <laughs> I mean, that that would be a pretty cool notch to have under anybody's belt. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just want one second of myself in Batman Superman. I filmed a whole scene for the movie Real Steel, and that entire thing was cut out. Oh, that sucks. So I'm just hoping for one second of my big stupid face on the screen. That's fun. Now you are no stranger to uh, to the screen, though, are you? I mean, you've done a lot of work. Yeah, here I I really actually hate being uh, on the screen. Uh, the first I don't even know uh, first show I worked on was Unsolved Mysteries back in the early nineties, right? And that was as a researcher, and I didn't do I don't think I was on camera for anything until two thousand ten. So quite a number of years before I, I put myself in front of the camera. Uh, and then, you know, whenever my friends, I have a lot of friends who are indie filmmakers and stuff, so I do bit parts and things. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't like how I look, so it's hard to, like, look at... Whenever, I, whenever anybody takes a picture of me, I pop my eyebrow up like Spock. And <laughs> That's what I'm looking at, actually, I think, right now. <laughs> I, do that on, I do that on purpose because I, I, I really don't like looking make a funny face that way when i look at the picture i'm like oh well, i'm just making a funny face it doesn't bother me as much. that's good stuff <laughs> so i have a question that it could be paranormal or it could be whatever whatever you want who is your idol and why is he your idol and have you met him or her oh that's uh i i guess i would have uh varying idols for different interests so like as a writer um, there's a science fiction writer named Theodore Sturgeon, who's an idol of mine. Theodore Sturgeon and Kurt Vonnegut are my two writer idols. Um, for, I don't even know, what for paranormal stuff, I don't even know who that would be. Uh, probably, you know, I've never, it's, it's weird because everybody's such a freak in their own little way. Mm-hmm. And they have their quirks and, and, and weird spots. I don't know if I idolize anybody in the paranormal community, but overall, um, God, for as, as dumb and as lame as this sounds, like I really idolize my parents. <laughs> it's as dumb as that sounds. I don't think that's dumb yeah. at all. You know, they were those, they have this thing, they've been married for 51 years. My mom was my dad's first girlfriend. My dad was my mom's first boyfriend. They've got a, they've still married. Uh, you know, he worked his whole life and did what he did to, raise two great kids. I, I think that people forget that that's something that people should idolize. Yeah, it's pretty impressive stuff. Especially especially nowadays. Absolutely. I mean, that you know, I don't know how old you guys are, but even in my lifetime, when I was growing up, it went from 
you know, we had like one or two friends who had divorced parents and that was unnormal to this radical shift to where now my parents have been married for 51 years and that's unnormal. Yeah. So I do have, I have another question about you, you've written quite a bit about different folk tales and folk stories and stuff. And if you had to pick one folk tale universe <laughs> to live in for the rest of your life, what would that tale be? Uh, that's a funny question because I think I might live in it. I mean, recently <laughs> I just went to see an elf. So, and I think I saw it. I think I yeah. saw an elf. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm already, and obviously I live in a universe where I go and investigate ghosts and mothmen and Bigfoot. So I think I'm already living in some kind of weird folktale universe. I think we, we might all be. Uh, I really do enjoy uh, First Nations and Native American folk stories a lot. I, something about their reverence for nature uh, that that really plays to a certain part of me. Yeah, I really enjoyed the um, the like the little people or the whole um, the fairy realm that the Native Americans talk about. Yeah, little people are my favorite for some reason, and. Uh, I assume at some point we're going to see a paranormal show. I, I jokingly made a video a few years ago called Gnome Netters, <laughs> and it was like a paranormal reality show of people catching gnomes. And I, I suspect within the next year or, or year and a half, you'll see an elf fairy or gnome show pretty soon. You know, I think it is starting to catch on over here because it's still kind of a taboo subject in the paranormal here in, in the U.S. Yeah, and you've got, you know... Iceland, where they're building their highways around the rock pile where the elves live, or in Ireland, where they're you can't build a building because that's where the that's where the fairies and the gnomes are, are have been stationed for three hundred years. So I mean, I, it's strange that we did have this First Nations legend of the little people. But again, uh, I was just having a conversation about this with someone. You know, we we have this great history in America of these folkloric belief systems of the Native Americans and the folkloric belief systems of the former American slaves. But we don't ever talk about them because then we would have to discuss what happened to the Native Americans and we would have to discuss the issue of slavery. And so it's like we write this whole huge, awesome chunk of our history kind of off of the scenes. Yeah, so I, I've actually, we've done a few shows on fairy tale or fairy sightings and gnome sightings and um, there was one actually right here in Kansas City a few years ago where it was uh, little gnomes that lived in the barn and the house is still there but I haven't made it out there yet but there's also a um, a rock carving down in the Ozarks it's either northern Arkansas or southern Ozarks or southern Missouri and we've been planning on going out there, and it's of a little person wearing a headdress. It's so awesome. I love it. And we had I'll a... Go, tell me when you're going. I'll go with you. Oh, absolutely. We actually... I have a book on it, and yeah. we'll talk after the show. Maybe I'll, I'll send you that book so you can check it out, too. Yeah, I mean, I'm... For is... You know, I again, I, I talk about everything that's weird, anything that's weird. Nothing's off limits. And it's like, when I went... Three weeks ago to see an elf I was like a, you know the first thing that goes through your mind because you're going out into the woods with a person that's pretty much a stranger in the middle of the night to see right. an elf so you're like okay well, 
How am I going to die? Am I going to get shot? My throat's going to get slit. What's going to happen? But what's even weirder than that is I think I ended up seeing a fucking elf. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing, though. I absolutely love that. And like you said, you know, it's fascinating. No, I'm just saying it's fascinating stuff anyway. You know, um, and so many people are so quick, I think, to, uh, to dismiss certain things, especially in the paranormal. It's like, oh, you'll believe in ghosts or, or anything of that nature and demons and things. Um, but why is this so off, you know, off the table? Well, right. And even the opening to my lectures, whenever I do lectures, I, I, I always ask people, you know, how many people here believe in ghosts? And then everybody raises their hand. And then I say, how many people here believe in aliens? And then... 75% of the people raise their hand and then I say how many people here believe in Bigfoot and like two people raise their hand right. and the rest of the audience laughs at those two people yeah. and then I say to the whole I say to the whole crowd I say so the majority of you believe that there's a conscious uh, remembrance of yourself that exists after the biology of you dies and it exists in an ethereal world for which we have no evidential proof uh, almost all of you believe that and a large number of you believe that in the vast inky blackness of space traversing all of space and time life has arisen developed technology and found us on this planet a huge number of you believe that but when I ask you if there's a big animal that we haven't discovered you laugh at it and think it's ridiculous the most real of the three is the one that people find the most hard to believe exactly exactly it's interesting, though, it's you uh, You bring up aliens and all of this stuff, because um, we talk a lot of aliens on this show, um, and it's absolutely no secret to our listeners that aliens absolutely scare the shit out of me, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why. Um, now, I'm sure, I, I've, I've seen odd things in the sky or whatever that I haven't been able to uh, explain, but and that didn't really jar me much, but I think that it would be like encountering these beings themselves. Um, it, it, there's just the thought of it. It freaks me out beyond any any form of belief. So I, I don't know. I was going to ask you, though, because if anybody could, could sway me in any way, it, it could be you. So is, is my fear a legitimate fear or, or am I just a whiny ass bitch? Like, what is going on here? Well, I mean, there's there's two aspects that you could look at, right? So you have either a high technologically advanced alien species that uh, doesn't care for us at all and doesn't think that we're anything to even uh, worry about, you know. So you know, of course, they could, if they are to a certain degree, uh, if they treat us the way that we treat lesser animals on our planet, I mean, that's something to be worried about. Exactly. If they just see us as something to experiment with. Um, but the other aspect is if they really are highly advanced and highly intelligent, they'd be beyond that at this point. And they'd just perhaps be curious about our psychology and, and our physical dynamics. Uh, but my, you know, I never, I'm not one of those people that has a story from, you know, a lot of people in the paranormal community say, oh, when I was six, I saw a ghost. Or when I was four, I, I saw a weird thing. And that's why I got into it. I'm really not one of those people. Uh, but recently, within the past five or six years, uh, whenever I get nervous, I hum this tune, and it just kind of goes, you know, I just I've hummed it ever since I was a tiny little kid. Hmm. And my parents, who had never seen me lecture five years ago, came to one of my first lectures, and that night I was talking to them, and they were arguing, and I kind of 
was getting stressed out, and I did that. And my mom goes, oh, you, you still sing that little song from when you were a little boy? And wow. I said, yeah. And she goes, do you remember the lyrics? And I go, I don't think it has lyrics. I've only ever hummed it. And she goes, no, you used to sing it. You used to sing the lyrics. Close your eyes and cover your face. There's little men from outer space touching your face. Holy and I was like, hell. what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you used to think that little men were in your room touching your face. And I was like, oh, God. Fuck out of here for real. <laughs> it's like you gotta stop talking right now. <laughs> oh, that is freaking amazing stuff, though. Yeah, I like to I, come up with scary stories of alien and encounters to scare him all the time on the show. Oh, absolutely. It's all. I mean, you fun. wouldn't you wouldn't know if they were really. If I mean, if they were really doing stuff to us at high tech, you wouldn't remember it anyway. Exactly. Um, or. If they didn't care that you remembered it or not, you know, you might just think that you're insane. But when I, you know, I always tell people on my websites and lectures, like, diversify your weirdness. Like, it's not beyond the pale that when I talk about fairies and imps and elves or we talk about Mothman and stuff like that, that we're talking about aliens. So, sure, you know, it can be that as well. Absolutely. I, I do like that about you from what I've heard and what I've read over the years. Um you don't stick to one particular topic. You explore them all and you're open to all of them. Yeah. I, you know, there's, it's weird because I, I have this idea in my head from my mentor, my, my, the guy that I, who kind of took me under his wing when I was 17, 16, 17 years old. And he had this idea, which I still hold of, of a traditional idea of skepticism. So like the platonic idea, like of skepticism that Plato had, you know, thousand years ago a skeptic was a person whose mind was open enough open enough to change their own ideas about a subject um that's not what skeptics are today skeptics are now people who want to change your mind about something that you think and i've always been under the idea that i'm not smart enough to understand any of this uh the hardest job i have is walking the line between disbelief and belief because either direction skews your data and your ideas in that direction. So to be able to honestly say, I don't know, I think is a very smart thing to be able to do in this field. Yeah, I think it's something that uh, more and more people are afraid to say, is that I don't know type thing. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's just honesty. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, you hear people say all the time, well, there's no experts, no one knows. There's no experts, no one knows. Well, if no one knows, then it's okay to say, I don't know. When people come up to me and, and ask, you know, do you think my grandfather came and visited me? I'll say, tell me your story, but I'm not going to be able to give you an answer. Exactly. Yeah, I've always ran my group in that way. I try not to tell my clients what I even think it is. I tell them this I can't explain. For sure, the uh, photographs pretty, that I'll be releasing pretty soon of the elf that I think I saw. Um, I have seven people who don't follow me on Facebook. They're not interested in paranormal stuff. Uh, their specialties run all the way. One of them is an anthropologist in California. Uh, the other one is a video technician in New York. And when I get weird photos, I just send them the photos blind. Tell me what you see. Tell me what you think. And then when those when they come back from that that group of seven people, I'll I'll release these photos. But I feel like a lot of times, you know, people will post whatever EVP recordings or video or photos, 
with the caption of what it is, then you've unduly influenced everyone that's looked at it or heard it. That makes so, a lot of sense. Um, if there was one thing you could go back, not to, oh, well, I, I, I say not to influence yourself, but not to necessarily make huge changes in your life, but if you can go back and tell your younger self one thing as you're starting to dive into the paranormal world, is there something that you would? Um, yeah, I think, you know, it would be something simple. I, I think that I made that mistake, and, and it was, you know, when I, I think I investigated my first haunted location at like 16 or something like that, so it was probably 85 or 86, and I had no fucking idea what I was doing. There weren't paranormal reality shows and stuff. You know, I had read books by Hans Holzer and right. the Warrens and stuff like that, and Time Life Mystery books. I didn't know what the shit was going on. And I think <laughs> I would have, I think I would have, I'd tell myself to just kind of relax and have an experience. I still tell people that to this day, like, don't focus so much on your gizmos and doodads. Um, it's not, you're not going to be the one that solves the mystery of life and death. Go have an experience, uh, it's something that can radically alter the way you understand the universe and, and reality. And I think for uh, many years, I was one of those people that was locked into my technology and not realizing that my body and my mind were my greatest pieces of equipment. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think now a lot of investigators are so focused on on that almighty, you know, quote unquote evidence um, that or they want gizmo. or gizmos or whatever that they they want to present to somebody, but um, or a client even. But at the same time, I don't think they're even truly understanding. And Jason and I have had plenty of conversations about this. They're not fully understanding what they're able to do or what they've been given access to. I mean, some of these locations that we are able to investigate are historic locations and we're given special access after hours in most cases. It's phenomenal stuff. Um, And the general public doesn't get to see this stuff. Yeah. It's amazing to me, right? Like it's, I'm so glad to hear someone say something like that. It's, it's still to this day blows my mind that I will be allowed to go in a 120 year old Masonic temple exactly. with no one in charge of me and be able to go through rooms and attics and behind walls and down in basements and sub basements. Like, what an amazing yeah. moment, you know? Uh, when I was at the Stanley Hotel last year for an event, I was down in the little tunnel, the little servant, servant tunnel that runs under the hotel. And this woman walked past me, and it was the kind of group ghost hunt that they do at these conferences. Sure. And she came up, she came up to me, and she goes, "I didn't see a ghost," and she was really mad. And I stopped <laughs> the whole, I stopped the whole group, and I said, "Listen," I said, "Please understand that even if you don't see a ghost, you are in a tunnel underneath a hotel yeah. that's 140 years old in the mountains of Colorado." looking for ghosts this is the experience exactly when you go back when you go back home on monday and everyone's talking about watching reruns of the big bang theory tell them (laughs) you were in a tunnel in a mountain under a 150 year old hotel looking for ghosts that's the experience exactly and then say to your buddies top that you know because they can't (laughs) they (laughs) sat on their ass all weekend you know (laughs) well and i know i started this show off by talking about sports but sadly that's mostly what most people talk about these days you can't 
even talk to them about most things in regular day life, even. Let alone yeah, it's very the history of a place. Like, I get more, probably more uh, people commenting and asking me about what it was like going into the basement, like you said, of this mansion and seeing a place that really the only the people that work there get to see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've, again, it blows my mind, you know, I'll be sitting at the bar where I'll pretend to know something about the Red Wings to, to make conversation with someone <laughs> when the reality is I want to tell them, you know, like this last weekend, I, I want to, you know, they'll say, what did you do? And I'll say, oh, I was out of town on business. Right. Because I don't want to inundate them. And I know they don't want to hear, unfortunately, like, oh, I was at this place called Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington, this allegedly haunted castle that was built by this bogging baron at the turn of the century and like get into it. But there's the majority of people really don't <laughs> care. But that's what's so sad. It is kind of sad. And I think, honestly, like history and the paranormal anyway are one and the same. They're, they're hand in hand, you know, so... I think you definitely have to appreciate one to appreciate the other. That's for sure. Well, you mentioned you mentioned tech, and I do know that bef- before you pretty much exclusively used older tech, correct? Like yeah, tape recorders. I, yeah, I still use analog tape recorders nice. the majority of the time when I do investigations. Very very nice. And um, like, do you? dabble with any of the newer stuff or do you just kind of stick to the older stuff I mean I, I agree with you in the sense that your best piece of equipment is yourself yeah um, I mean I experiment with all the new tech to see what it does I mean it all does variations on the same thing right I mean yes you can you can get the same kind of equivalent data from a handheld 1930s compass that you got in a Cracker Jack box than you can from an EMF detector. Right. The same thing, you know, right. just registering a magnetic field. <laughs> uh, but I play with all the technology. I just find that for me, analog tape, because it's a magnetic medium, has always been better for recording and doing investigations with recording. I use um, a video camera that uses Hi8 tape still nice. because that's a, still a magnetic medium. It's not digital. Um, but, you know, I bought one of the things that does bother me, kind of like when I was saying people get lost in their tech. I saw someone this weekend walking around uh, hunting for ghosts with a stud finder. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't even know what's going on a lot of the time. Like, That's are they looking for ghosts or the structural foundation of the building? <laughs> that is interesting. I've never seen that done. Well, I've so, actually thought about, I've, I've had the same thought, and I actually ordered a tape. Uh, a reel-to-reel today, an older one off of eBay, but I just need to order the tape, so I'm excited to use it. I've got some tape sitting in my basement for you, buddy. No lie. Yeah, (laughs) you know, it's great because the thing that a lot of people don't realize and again, this is, you talk about history being important to the paranormal community like the history of paranormal research should be important too. Exactly. And and so when you have like EVP starts with, you know, Constantine Rodive and uh, Jorgensen back in the like 30s and 40s, and they're using magnetic reel-to-reel tape. Yes. And it's, what, what's always fascinated me is no one understood, and still does, no one understands how it works, right? How the voices imprint themselves on the medium. But right. then you have this shift in technology into digital recorders, which record in a completely different way than analog tape. They record off of a chipset inside yes. of the digital recorder. It's recording something. It's actually doing something different 
than what you're doing when you're recording with an analog tape. So, I mean, bef before we even figured out what the first tech was doing, we moved on to the second one. It's smaller <laughs> and better. It's supposedly kinda, better. Well, it's pretty, and most of them have flashy little lights, and they <laughs> they make noises that you can actually hear at the time. Uh, right. Uh, I'm not a big fan of all the the newer stuff. I mean, I can't keep I, up I it, with but, it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so to move on a, a little bit, I, I do want you to talk a little bit about your shows and stuff. But from the oddest episode, Old Man versus the Show, <laughs> you said, quote, I got in the field of the paranormal and conspiratorial research because it challenged what I knew. And so I feel like now people watch TV, it validates what they think, and then there is no challenge to what they think. You still feel the same way about that, and do you think that your shows that you've been on, um, the not uh, the validity of that statement is comes through in the show? Uh, to a certain degree, I think it does. The the issues that I have with shows like Ghost Stalkers, um, which I you know I, I'm my my biggest critic on a show like that. Yeah, and, sure. Uh, I I feel like with Ghost Stalkers, we set out you always set up with these lofty goals and then you have to fight your battles. So like one of the battles we fought was to actually be alone while we were wanted to have the camera crew outside in case something happened. And I made them wrap the crew and send them back to the hotel every night, which they didn't want to. So I kind of won that <laughs> battle on what the name of the show was going to be, which I hate ghost stalkers and they won that one. But one of the things that was important to me in that show was this idea which got oversaturated, you know, the word portals in that show, which drives me fucking crazy as much as it drives everybody crazy. There's one episode in 44 minutes where the word portal is said 51 times. Oh, wow. Uh, it's absolutely ridiculous how that was cut together. But the idea that I was trying to impress and to really challenge people's ideas in the paranormal field was if there are ghosts, why are they only in certain places? Like, what is it about these certain... I mentioned it in the first episode, I think, which is if people have the potentiality be, to become a ghost, there have been about 500 billion deaths on this planet. So if half of them became ghosts, that's 250 billion ghosts on this planet. Now, we've only ever lived in certain areas on the planet, and so that means those 250 billion would be spread among the areas that humans have lived, which breaks down math-wise to being about 12 ghosts per acre, but it doesn't seem to be that way. It seems to be that there are certain locations that have a larger prevalence of hauntings. And what is that? And so not only that idea did, did I want to get out there to kind of challenge this idea of perhaps, you know, people always said like, well, maybe it's because someone died here. Maybe it's because... They, they loved that place. But maybe it was this confluence of all these different places and their locations, their environments, and their histories, all making a place where the veil thinned between two worlds. And the other thing was, too, is we talk a lot about interdimensional, like interdimensional creatures on that show. We talk, maybe this is something from a parallel universe. Maybe right. this is something from a parallel reality. And so I, I think that we snuck those things in uh, plus, there are little things in Ghost Stalkers, which a lot of people don't catch. We almost never, I think there's in six, the six episodes, 44 minutes each, I think there's a dozen times where we say, this is dot, dot, dot. 
um, the majority of the time we say this could be, this might be, right. this possibly could be. And that's a big difference from most paranormal shows. Most yeah. paranormal shows are like, that's a ghost, that's a demon, <laughs> this thing's got to go, we know how to get rid of it. And those yeah. definitive statements, I think, really set people back. I think they could come back and bite you in the ass, too. Like yeah, something sure. that definitive? Like, come on, man. It's like, was it a demon or was it a mouse fart? You know, it's like, what What really was that? <laughs> right? <laughs> so. <laughs> well, like demon is right now is like the beanie baby phenomenon of the paranormal world right now. The word demon and evil is used out there in such uh, prolific ways that it just muddies everything. For sure. In, in my opinion. Yeah, no, for sure. And again, about the diversification of weirdness. Like when I worked on Unsolved Mysteries, if you were having sleep paralysis, you saw a shadow person, you saw an orb, you saw a ball of light, you had humming in your ears. In the 90s, that was an alien abduction. Right. But then the narrative changed, even though the, the experience is exactly the same. Now, 20 years later, that's a demonic possession. So, you know, we, we even lack the specific language to talk about these experiences. So to draw a definitive conclusion, I think, is, is really winding people down the wrong path. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Um, as far as, you know, the paranormal community in general, are, are we taking steps? I mean, are, are we progressing ourselves? Are we more or less standing still? Or are we moving backward even? You know, I was really excited in the early 2000s when paranormal shows kind of began because Absolutely. It, it, it made it made it the entire subject able to be talked about openly. We were yes. allowed to all of a sudden discuss things, and that was really great. And I feel like now we're you know whatever 12, 15 years in, um, it has hindered us because you have people watching shows thinking that's exactly how it's done that's how it has to be done right and again there's that limiting of thought where it's like oh well they don't do this on this show they don't do this on that show um <laughs> and then you have some shows which you know like the target demographic for the most watched paranormal show on television right now is 16 to 22 female right and and most of the people who watch that show do not watch it for uh their interest in the paranormal. They watch it because there's someone on there that they like, there's someone on there that they find attractive or funny, and it gives them spooky horror show moments. Sure. I got sent home from an investigation about five years ago, but take your pants off. Because I didn't do things the way that their favorite TV show did. Have you ever come across anything like that with clients? Oh, for sure. Well, not with clients, but when I do events and I do group, group ghost hunts and people expect it to be a certain way. You know, that's the other thing, too, is the expectation level. People watch a show, and, you know, like Ghost Dockers is a good example. You know, I would go in at 9 o'clock at night by myself and come out at 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning. Chad would go in at 9 o'clock at night, come out at 7 o'clock in the morning. So we're in there about 11 or 12 hours each night, and then the show's only 44 minutes long. Right. So, but when you watch the show, it's like bang, boom, bang. All this stuff is happening instantaneously. People show up to do a ghost hunt at a conference, and you're like, <laughs> okay, listen... Uh, we only have three hours to investigate this prison. Yeah. Um, probably nothing is going to happen. And then people get depressed because they expect cell doors to be slamming and people to get scratched and things to be thrown across the room. And it's like, first and foremost, those things are rare. 
Uh, secondly, you know, you're going to be here for three hours. You're barely going to be able to get yourself calmed and settled enough to where your stomach isn't grumbling and being captured on your recorder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to touch back on something you said when you were talking about ghost stalkers and uh, specifically when you're talking about locations being hot spots for spirits. Um, I've had, I had somebody years ago, a buddy of mine ask me, uh, he was a science student at, a, at college or in college. And he asked me what I thought of what effect, if it's gravity or whatever was holding those spirits to this planet, because our planet is never in one place at one time in space. Uh, you know, our galaxy is flying through the universe and it's never in one time in one place. Do you, do you think that there's, if that there's some, the gravity must be holding it there. Do you, I mean, have you ever had anybody ask you anything like that? Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, one of the things I talk about at my lectures is let's say you have a building that's haunted. Um, and then the building gets knocked down and and the ghost walked around on the second floor of the building, but the building isn't there anymore. Is the ghost now like floating around two stories up in the sky, pretending to go up and down stairs that's not there? And then I extend that further and say, well, then the ground gets dug up and they uh, build a giant lake there. And so now there's not even ground there anymore. And then, you know, a million years goes by and the earth blows up. Is the, are there just ghosts floating around in space where the earth used to be, thinking that they're they're still inside their homes? So yeah, I mean. The, the questions that arise when you take steps forward. I mean, that's a great question that's asked of you is, does gravity have an effect? The problem is, is we live in this world where science, which I love, has gotten somewhat dogmatic. And we believe what the scientists tell us, which not might not necessarily might be true, like the fact that gravity is a constant. Gravity's not a constant. It fluctuates wildly throughout the year and, and across decades. Uh, but, but if you are constantly changing math to match the fluctuations of gravity, uh, then you can't do math. It just doesn't, you can't do physics. It doesn't work out right. right. So they have to kind of average it out and fix it at a certain rate. But gravity changes, the speed of light changes, the constants change. Um, the Bureau of Metrology in London, who measures all of that stuff, every year they put out a list of what the new constants are which doesn't make any sense. If they're constants, they should always be the same. Sure. They're different numbers every single year. <laughs> um, so I think our understanding of the universe, gravity, even the, the, the hard physical sciences, I, I think it's, it's not as uh, easily definable as we think. And then you get into the idea, sorry, I, I love talking about weird stuff. I'm sorry I'm talking so much. No, we want you to talk as much as I want, I want you to talk yeah, as absolutely. much as you want to talk. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I talk about is I think a lot of the times uh, with hauntings, it's very possible that you're not seeing any. First of all, OK, uh, you know, vision, the way vision works, light bounces off of something and then it goes into my eye and it makes a picture inside my head. It's not I'm not even seeing something outside in, in front of me. I'm seeing it on a virtual reality screen inside my brain. So if you think like, OK, a ghost is standing six feet away from you. It, it would take a lot of energy to manifest a form that would bounce light off of it to send it into my eye. Now, it would be a lot easier for a spirit to trigger a visual synapse in my brain, a very tiny electric spark to, to fire a visual hallucination. And I think that's why sometimes people can be standing right next to each other. One person will see it, one person won't. 
I think that's why when you see your grandma who passed away or your grandpa, they looked just like they always looked. Yeah. I think it's it's somewhat more intimate that your grandma can your, who passed away can get into your head, find the memory of herself that she likes the most and trigger it in your brain so that you can see her. Um, this might also account for why people see uh, kind of wispy and cloudy spirits or, or ghosts. Uh, if they don't if you don't have a memory of that person inside of you, they trigger the closest idea of a memory inside of you. You end up seeing something that looks kind of more non-physical and, and non and, and kind of shapeless. That's very interesting stuff. Um, kind of along the same lines, but not necessarily. Um, one point last, uh, it was last fall, uh, I captured, oh, we were sitting, I was sitting in this place uh, that I kind of run uh, called Malvern Manor. And I'm sitting there and I'm tied to a chair, blindfolded with earplugs in. We were doing a sensory deprivation type of experiment. Sure. Um, we were filming this. And uh, so it was just myself and then a, a guy running a camera. And I heard something, which was odd because these uh, earplugs that I had went all the way down into your canal and really blocked everything out. Um, so it was odd for me to be hearing anything. Uh, let alone the voice of a of a little girl. Now I couldn't make out anything that uh, the voice was saying or trying to say or whatever. Or what I was perceiving as sound, and um, it was interesting because the audio equipment that we had set up in the room picked up the same anomaly. But what was interesting then is the the man running the camera, who wasn't compromised in any way, didn't hear a freaking thing. So the electrical equipment picked it up I picked it up and I was compromised in every way shape and form but he was the All only right. one but he couldn't uh, he never heard a thing do you have any that's thoughts on that no that's super interesting um, I back in the 90s I did a bunch of sensory deprivation experiments for money the local college uh, plus I wanted to know how my brain works so I think at, the, at one point I did about 12 hours in a, in a sensory deprivation tank Nice. And uh, it does get really weird, you know. You're, you go to a strange place. I don't know if it's exactly <laughs> everyday reality. At one point, I thought I was a cat, uh, but yeah, that's a really interesting story. That's that's something really. I mean, that's that's the stuff I love. The story you just told me is like that's great stuff, and I, I wish more people would experiment with stuff like that. Right. I, I was just t- telling this group in Washington um, last weekend. You know, I. I I like to do these weird experiments with EVP sessions where I'll have a friend of mine write six questions, give them to another friend of mine who will put them in six envelopes, give those envelopes to another friend of mine who will number those envelopes to give those envelopes to me. And when I do an EVP session, I'll just pull out an envelope and say, can you answer or another, the, the person before me is going four back to answer a question in an envelope. I love when people push limits and, and ideas on how to do stuff. That's good stuff. That's an interesting. No, I had idea. A, uh, something you may be able to speak on a little bit. Uh, I had a we have a listener named Shaggy that wanted us to find a guest to speak on a possible paranormal a paranormal unified field theory in the sense that every paranormal thing may be connected or have one source behind it do you have any thoughts on that yeah i mean 
that drives right back to when I tell people to diversify their weirdness. I've always believed that this is a combinatorial system. That, again, kind of what I said earlier, that we're lacking a specific language to even talk about it. When, when I ask people if they believe in ghosts and everybody raises their hand, every single person has got a different definition of what mm -hmm. a ghost is. Um, you know, and, and so I really do think that it, you know, my, one of my catchphrases is what you think is weird is weirder than you think. Because, you know, on those long trips and nights and self-reflection, and I think to myself, you know, what if there's a day, what if, what if aliens did learn how to become pure consciousness? They don't need bodies anymore. Well, then if aliens were coming to our planet, they would look like ghosts to us. They wouldn't look like our traditional idea of aliens. What if, you know, the, the question has come up recently, like, what if, you know, what if Bigfoot is a ghost? And that's the reason that people can't catch him. And when you kind of break the language down, you can see that there does seem to be this one single octopus with eight arms that reaches into every single aspect of what we're doing, whether it be ghosts, cryptids, or UFOs. Um, I just don't think that we, as a community, have expanded large enough to really see it. And we fight over stupid shit anyway. We yes. fight over you know, again, the tech or how to do an investigation you know, or who has the coolest shirts or what you should dress like when you're doing an investigation until we get past all that shit. There's no way we're ever going to really uncover any deep, true mysteries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, when somebody, well, when somebody per, per, uh, um, puts out a piece of quote-unquote evidence out there or something, uh, not even evidence. If they're just asking for opinions on it, they're sh they're so shot down sometimes <laughs> that it just makes it makes me feel bad for these people that just want a little bit of somebody saying, "Oh, I think I may know," or "I I had something happen like, like that before." They're being almost pushed out by negativity. Yeah, and you know, a lot of times people ask for an opinion only because they want validation of their own idea. You can't even give them a new idea. You know, you'll, somebody will post a great photo of some wispy, terrible thing on Facebook and say, like, look at this ghost of my grandmother. And right. you can't comment on something like that because you're interrupting someone's deep-held belief system. Uh, Amy Bruni and I were at lunch when I was in last weekend, and this woman had a camera, and she said, can I show you guys an orb photo and, and ask you what you think of it? And I, Amy and I have this thing where we tell people, if you think it's something and it's an orb and you think it's your husband or your wife or your child, don't show it to us because it can be what it is to you. Yeah. And all we're going to do is tell you that it's probably dust, it's probably moisture, and it's probably a flash. And sure. if it means something to you, let it mean something to you and just go on with your life. Don't look to us for validation of what you already believe. So if, if I'm not mistaken, except for your Tenco podcast that you mentioned, you you put up uh, random things every now and then. Uh, your only current podcast is Real Lost. Are you still doing that one? Yeah, there's one that goes up tonight. Yeah. Nice. Um, can you speak a little bit on that and maybe where you... I, I didn't get to listen to all those yet. So where where you got most of those reels and, and any other information you want to give out about that show? Sure. Um, years ago, <clears throat> somehow or another, being involved in this community and, you know, it was a different world back in the in the mid to late 80s than it is now. It was a little bit more tight knit. 
And uh, as the kind of moldy oldies of the 40s and 50s in the paranormal community passed away and I was friends with them, uh, they would either will me stuff or I would go to their houses and their, their, their families would give me stuff. And all of these people used to have reel-to-reel recorders. Uh, that's how they did a lot of their investigations. That's how they interacted with each other and sent ideas back and forth. That was their proto-internet. And so I just collected over the years this box of reel-to-reel tapes. And I've never really listened to them. I don't know why. I just guess I didn't have the time to listen to them or didn't think I could do anything with them. But as I saw them getting dustier and dirtier and realizing I used to be in bands, and so I know that tape has a limited shelf life before it starts decaying and it becomes unplayable. I thought to myself, let's just digitize this. I'll listen to it. I'll put it out as a podcast. I'm sure there's some weird stuff on it. And true to form, I mean, there is some fucked up shit on these <laughs> tapes that I don't know what is going on. The first the first episode, um, I'm trying to think of which one. Oh, it was a channeling session. And uh, kind of weird. Uh, I understand it, 1960s channeling. The, the second one, strangely enough, because I'm picking them randomly and none of them are really labeled. The second one was a channeling session for the wife of the guy who was getting channeled in the first reel. Um, and then the third one was just a guy giving out these mantras like, he knows all about you. He can make your life better. And I, have, I had no clue what that was. Actually, that mystery gets answered with this episode that posts tonight. And I'll, I'll tell you guys, I don't care, but um, I found a tape for this episode and it's the same person from episode three speaking, but at the end of the tape, he announces who he is and he says, you know, recorded August 14th, 1952. This is Al Ron Hubbard. Oh, wow. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, that's cool that you have. I mean, wow. that, what a piece of history right there uh, yeah. to have in your possession. Yeah. Well, what's crazy is 1952. Um, is the year that Hubbard created Dianetics. Right. He moved to he moved to Arizona and he started selling uh, his ideas about Dianetics through the mail on reel to reel tapes. He made six hundred reel to reel tapes that he sold in nineteen fifty two, and then in nineteen fifty three and fifty four tried to recall and buy them back from everyone as he shaped Dianetics and Scientology. So the, some of these are those original tapes that never got returned. Damn. <laughs> that is amazing. Is, is um okay, so on the last episode of the Audist, you said that Uh-oh. people needed to stay tuned and in four years we will may start making new episodes. And it's been <laughs> four years. Has it been four years? It yeah, has. it was that uh, well it it, has if been. I'm not mistaken, the last one was in two thousand and twelve and now it's two thousand and sixteen. So when are you gonna start that back <laughs> up again? Uh who knows? I might do one just to keep it alive in iTunes. I um, did. I did really enjoy Realm of the Weird. Realm of the Weird comes back in October for sure. Okay, um, cool. Because of there have been certain things. As a matter of fact, I was just kind of writing out because I have to write out Realm to make sure I hit all of the correct plot points in the story. But um, like the elf, seeing the elf will be one of the Realm of the Weird stories. Um, and then there have been three other things that have happened that are going to become Realm of the Weird Story. So those in October, uh, the, the first week of October is when they'll start. And it'll kind of culminate up till Halloween and then the week after. Very nice. No, I'm definitely looking forward to that. That'll be fun. 
yeah, I really, I really enjoy that podcast because I'm, uh, you know, I, I still love watching the old, um, old fifties shows and stuff that, uh, like, I just had it pop out of my head. One step beyond. Uh, well, shows like that, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really enjoy. Beyond. I really enjoy. I really enjoy the that that format, and the the telling. And then you're waiting for the end to get the little you know, the little ending nugget there. Right. I mean, that's, it, it's hard to do too with Realm of the Weird because some, I have to purposely kind of circumnavigate, uh, you know, a big reveal because sometimes the reveal comes, you know, in the first two days that I meet the person. So I have to find a way to move it to the end to give it that Realm of the Weird pop. Um, but the other thing is too, people are like, we want more episodes of Realm of the Weird. We want more episodes of Realm of the Weird. I'm like, listen, I've got 14 solid fucked up stories in the past 27 <laughs> years, and, and these are them. So I'm not going to just start making stuff up because people want to hear more. Yeah, yeah, you don't want to man- yeah. manufacture them. Without losing connection again. I think my wife's on Netflix right now. She's fucking up my world. So <laughs> I, think, I think my mother's on my Netflix. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm parent-sitting uh, for the past two weeks. <laughs> you got to love it. Yeah, my father went out to shovel snow at 74 years old, slipped and broke his hip. Shit. So, and he's my mom's primary caregiver, so now it's, <laughs> I'm in charge of everything. That sounds like... Happy Happy New Year. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So is there anything upcoming? Do you have any other books coming out in the future, plans? Uh, yeah, I have... Uh, I have a collected uh, book of, strangely enough, uh, elf tales. Ever since this guy um, and I have been talking, and, and since I went out and saw the elf, and actually think I saw an elf, I went back through all of my favorite elf, gnome, or excuse me, fairy, gnome, and goblin stories, and, and put this book together. That's all of my kind of favorite historical. Uh, there's another book that I'm working on right now, which is, um, it's funny, we were talking about weird questions, so like ghosts, do ghosts float around after the earth blows up? Um, the tentative title for the book that I'm looking at releasing in October is Do Ghost Wear Underpants? <laughs> um, and it's it's this it's this book that asks really sim- s- silly questions, um, but then those silly questions lead to kind of really kind of deep uh, ideas and, and hopefully deep uh, hypotheses about what what might be going on in the paranormal realm. Do you think we're getting closer to that ultimate answer? As you know, like I mean, we're all kind of searching for that answer. You know, what really happens to us after we you know expire from this physical body that we know? What happens? Are we, are we any closer to that? I don't know if we are capable of being closer to that answer. Um, there's a Native American quote that kind of translates out to um, it, it, it kind, it's kind of if you ask uh, what happens when I die is there a God is there a heaven uh, the answer is you'll never know the you'll never know the answer asking the questions means that you're alive um, which which means that if you're not asking these questions are you truly living a fully formed life uh, I think that we are supposed to question our existence, and we are supposed to uh, quest for the unknown. 
think that's a part of who we are as, as creatures on this planet. And I think that the answer is supposed to elude us. That's a great well, fucking answer I, right there. <laughs> in one of the podcasts I listened to today where you were interviewed, you mentioned, and this is something that I definitely see as a possibility, that there may be um, so-called angels or things on the other side preventing them from giving us that information because we're not supposed to know because if we knew we would just off ourselves and go to the other side for sure um that's a, actually an idea that i i put forward to on ghost stalkers that you know it, and it's and it's that, that keep us from knowing the answer because what would be the point if we knew the answer of going through our day-to-day struggles and, and trying to make it work and so they give us varied responses and, and responses that don't mean things and responses that make us keep questing for the answer. Uh, I think that our universe is, is glorious and weird and, and strange for a reason. Uh, I think the universe loves creativity. It loves strangeness. Yeah. Uh, I get I get very upset sometimes when I when I talk to my friends who are cynics and kind of new skeptics because uh, they seem very mean in their in their rationale, and what they're offering is not great. I mean, they're offering oblivion. Uh, they're offering pointlessness. They're offering the fact that we don't have free will, that we are simply chemical robots following the evolved pattern. Yeah. And if scientists truly believe that, that none of this matters, all of their study, all of their research will one day just mean nothing when the sun goes red giant eventually. And and burns everything to a crisp and it'll be lost to the cosmos. If they really believe that, then they should herald our march into oblivion. They should tell us, listen, this is all fucking pointless. None of it matters. Uh, But they don't really believe it. I feel like in their hearts, they don't believe it. Every scientist I know who thinks that we're just chemical robots and and we're just going through the motions without free will has children that they love. Yes. and, and that always surprises me because their idea is that they don't really love their children. It's just the chemical reaction of their brain, their child, that's making them feel like they're in love with their child. And so I don't even know if they really believe their own bullshit. That goes kind of along with one thing that I, I talk about with people. And I just did a show about it here in town not too long ago about time travel in the sense that if time travel is a possibility and you're able to go into the future and view the future or be a part of the future, that means most likely that our, uh, we're set in what we're doing. Everything is planned out, so to speak. So does that mean if everything is planned out, uh, at this moment, right now, I'm sitting here, I'm looking at, and I, you know, I, I'm touching my tablet here. Am I actually controlling my hand to touch that tablet or am I just feel like I'm, I'm just actually observing myself doing that? Yeah, I mean, that's why scientists created, you know, the many universes theory. Every single possibility that's ever going to will or had occurred is going to occur and has already played itself out. And our consciousness right now is just kind of streaming through one reality to another, piecing it together, making it seem like there's forward motion, Uh, which, you know, again, I, I kind of have trouble believing that I, again, I think the universe loves weirdness and creativity. I don't think it likes being locked down to even multiple universes. I think it, it likes generating high strangeness. And, and if you look at the universe, it it seems to really play out that it does love 
weirdness. I mean, if you take the Big Bang as the start, there's this explosion and there's all these tiny little single atoms floating around. And then they get more complex and weird by forming. And then they form planets, which are super complex, and stars and quasars, which are super complex. And then on some of those planets, they evolve cellular life, and then multicellular life, and then conscious intelligent life. So the universe has only ever gotten weirder and stranger as far as we can see. But I don't think that, you know, it, it played it out. I think it, it kind of sits back and, and, and watches what it's doing and loves how weird it's getting. I would tend to agree with you, and I well, if if you don't mind sticking around a little bit longer, I know we didn't really set a time period on this, but I really want to hear you speak on uh, transmedia and covert media. Uh, I know you said in your podcast that you've actually worked in that field somewhat, and yeah, <laughs> I I loved hearing about that, and I don't know if you feel like talking about it, but I'd like to hear you talk about your experiences in that and how. You know, they're all controlling us. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the first jobs I had uh, back in the 90s, and it, in the 90s it was just called guerrilla marketing. Uh, and it eventually evolved into transmedia um, advertising, transmedia reality, and augmented reality advertising. But like our first uh, one of, I can't, I won't say the client's name, but it was a, it was a gum manufacturer, chewing gum manufacturer. And so what we did is we went to Chicago, we did demographic study, we hired about uh, 500 actors, we scripted out what they were going to say, and then those actors walked around Chicago for two weeks, and anytime they got near people, they would start talking about the gum, they would start giving the script out that we gave them. And it would just be as you passed someone on the street, you would hear someone go like, oh, have you tried that new gum? It's really good, blah, 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 blah. And they just walk past you. And it was so that the idea of the new gum would get into your mind. And over the course of the day, you might hear two or three people that you didn't know, but they were all talking about it. And then before you know it, you're buying a pack of that gum. Um, and we did that with a number of products where we would go into a city and have people and pay people, uh, actors, to generate conversations about certain products. That's really, really cool shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's really scary. I ended, I ended up stopping because I, I ended up stopping it because I was at my local bar a couple years into that job, uh, and I was just hanging out talking to my friends. And this guy next to me asked me if I had tried this new beer, and it sounded like the patter that I wrote for the company that I was working for. And I was like, "Oh shit, this guy is an actor. He's selling me something." And then all of a sudden, yeah. I was looking around. I was like. All these motherfuckers could be actors. <laughs> I got to get out of this. I'm already too paranoid. Everybody's drinking the beer, man. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it makes you just question everybody in, in the sense that everybody knows that there are fake profiles online. There's people just posting stuff. Sure. You know, some do it more covert than others, but there's people out there that'll just, you know, they're they're not real. You, you know, they're always some hot woman that has the same five photos as another person. But this is that, that covert advertising was actually in real life, people walking around acting that you interact with even, and they're playing a part, and you, you don't know it. Yeah, and it happens far more than I think people understand. Um, it's, oh, it's, it's so strange, and it gets so wonky because, like, I'll give you a good example of, of how it works and what it evolved into. Um, about four years ago, uh, I got a Twitter request from a ghost hunting team from Los Angeles. And so I accepted it, ghost hunting team from Los Angeles. I checked out their website. It's pretty cool. Three people, 
they investigated a couple places. They had shitty YouTube videos, uh, pretty shitty website, T-shirts, the whole whatever, and they were fine. And they started to get like really good, like looking evidence or data in their YouTube videos. And so I kind of drilled down and, and I was doing searches and trying to find out who they were and where they came from, where they got their starts. Because they had done a couple interviews on podcasts, radio shows and stuff. And so I was just listening to everything I could about them. And there's something just didn't seem to be lining up. Now, like I said, this is four or five years ago when this happened. Um, and then I realized that one of them was an actor. And in his ghost team, he was under a different name. And I realized that it was a transmedia experience, what that it was fuck? it was three actors who had created a fake ghost group, but they had acted exactly like a real ghost group would, and that they, in two years, and so they were doing a, this thing, a deep embed, which was when the two years later, when this found footage documentary would come out, if you searched them on the internet, they would have had two years of internet presence what of them the actually fuck? doing investigations with t-shirts and showing up at events and conferences and you wouldn't have known the whole thing was a marketing ploy for a movie. That's impressive shit though. I mean, talk about hard work and really, really planning something out. And that's why transmedia is so scary because you really don't know who's real and who's not. And it can get very blurry to the wow. point of with that group in particular they had hosted a segment on uh, Los Angeles ABC channel uh, during a news broadcast. And so I called the station and I said, do you know that you had uh, these people on television and they were portraying themselves under false names uh, and giving your reporter false information? And that created a firestorm and all of a sudden that group disappeared because they had realized they had kind of gone too far. They had tricked yeah. a journalist into reporting completely uh, unfounded, unfactual information. Wow. That's well, absolutely and, and you could be you could be paid to tell us all this stuff. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, for sure. You guys could be paid. No. To interview uh, me and get some information out of me about the transmedia advertising that's right. campaigns of America. Find out what Tenny knows. Gosh. Get the fuck out. <laughs> Well, and, uh, I, I know I'm jumping around a lot, but like I said at the beginning, I've been, I have you swimming around in my head and uh, you talked about on, I believe it was a conspiracy show about Alex Jones and about something he told you about if in a few years he was still around, that he was probably <laughs> being paid off. Yeah. So, you know, Alex, we had a brief and somewhat storied history in the nineties when he was just a late night radio show host in Texas. And uh, we parted company uh, during Y2K because he was reporting that gas stations were being blown up and that right. um, the Mexican troops had entered the United States and were starting to kill people. And he was just saying that on the air. I mean, like he was just telling people there, you know, there are Mexican troops, there's UN troops invading America right now. They're killing people. We have footage. And that's where I kind of broke with him. But uh, earlier couple years earlier we had had a conversation on his radio show and he he told me off the air when we were done he said you know uh someday if i'm if i'm still doing this in, in 15 or 20 years uh you know and and they're still letting me speak the truth uh it's because I've, i'm on their they will let me do this for another 15 or 20 years they will take me down and it seems to me that you know he's got a lot of money now he's been on cnn a number of times uh I think 
perhaps Alex understood his fate and has probably followed it. We've often questioned how the hell he could do five hours a day, seven days a week of just him yelling about things. <laughs> I mean, anybody would have to be paid to do that. Well, yeah, and, you know, in no small terms, Alex is a crazy person. Uh-huh. So, I mean, I don't know if five hours really bothers him that much. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it helps that he has, you know, before when it was him and, and one researcher doing his radio show and, and you know, they were running the, the boards and microphones for their radio show. I'm sure it helps now to have a, an entourage of 20 people working for you and, yeah. and sponsorships all over the place. So you got anything coming up in the near future, like conferences, places you'll be at, or um, any other shows or, or anything that you want to put out there, let our listeners know about? Yeah, um, I'm the guest investigator on Nick Groff's Paranormal Lockdown this week on Friday um, the 18th, and then uh, I'm doing a lecture at the Swamp Gas Conference in Michigan. This is the 50th anniversary of Michigan's biggest US UFO flap in 1966. In the Stanley Hotel, the third week of April, and then I'm doing a paranormal cruise at the end of April. And um, I've never been on a cruise, so that'll actually be kind of cool. But don't get most, sick. Yeah, I'm sure <laughs> something's going to happen, right? Going, we're going to uh, the Gulf of Mexico, so the Zika virus, I'm sure, at some point will hit oh. somebody. <laughs> well, good thing you're not pregnant, right? Yeah. Well, you never know in this world, in this field. Uh, but. Uh, people can go to weirdlectures.com. There's an events page that has everything that I'm doing on there. and um, I'm pretty easy to find, uh, even though I don't respond very well on the phone and through email. I'm, You know, I am a hermit at, at best. Uh, I love to research. I love to sit at home and read. Uh, conferences have always been uh, a, a way for me to collect people's anecdotal stories of their stuff, but I don't know exactly how much I like to be a personality. I can respect that. It's hard too, you know. You get sometimes you get a lot of creepers. Uh, I've had to I had to call the police a couple times for people outside of my house, which always makes you don't wow. want to do anything at all. Yeah, that's pretty jacked up. Well, as right. long as you don't, and I don't, I I've I've followed you for a long time. I actually won a book from you a long time ago on Twitter. Um, but you seem to have never changed yourself uh, in the sense that you'll put on a show for anybody or act differently than who you really are. And I, I respect that because there's so many people out there that have a TV show that they're, they're different from one year to the next almost. Yeah, I mean, I guess that comes from the fact I was a punk rock kid in the 80s um, when all of this kind of started for me. And, and it was, you know, I was beat up a lot for being a weirdo and, and, and uh, bullied a lot for being a weirdo. But all that ever did was strengthen my resolve to just be who I am. And if you are who you are, it's so much easier to told three days ago or three years ago. You just talk and tell people and try and be as honest as you can and be yourself. And if people like you, they like you. If they don't, fuck them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you got any questions for Mr. Tenney, Josh? No, I just, I just want to thank you very much for your time, man. This has been freaking outstanding i've been jonesing for this uh for this episode for about a month now so so thank you very much for this oh no thanks for having me like i said i'm uh, parent sitting so it's nice to talk to other human beings that are uh, <laughs> near to my age and my mentality absolutely and maybe maybe if we could figure this out um we can provide a premium content episode 
of us out in the woods looking for little people sometime in the future. I would do it in a heartbeat. We got to figure out. You're in Kansas. I live in Kansas, and Josh. Uh, I live in Kansas City, and yeah. Josh lives in Iowa. Yeah. Oh, we we got we can put something together. That's not. I've I've made that road trip before. Oh yeah. It wouldn't take all, too much. We're all about it. We've talked about it many times. Us going out into the woods, which I love going out in the woods, and I'll babysit him out in the woods. <laughs> and anybody else is. Uh, I'll bring the whiskey. <laughs> all right, I'm going to leave it up to you guys to put together the first uh, gnome fairy and elf conference. That's a hell of an idea. <laughs> this could happen. Yeah, I would be people all would about. Buy, it. People would buy the shit out of that. People love fairy doors. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> That'd be good. Yeah. So, um, thank you very much, John, for getting on. I um, a lot of people ask me, "How do I get John Tenney on the show?" And I, I book some other people on the show, <laughs> and all I tell them is, "All you have to do is ask." These are regular people. Yeah, for sure. Right? Like, I mean, but some people aren't. Right? <laughs> I mean, there are people <laughs> that are regular people. Yeah, that's true. There um, are some. I just got, I got yelled at recent. I got yelled at this weekend because someone asked me who books all my events and. It's, you know, who's my lawyer for my television show and stuff like that. And I was like, no, I do all that myself. How do you not have a lawyer for this? And how do you not have an agent for that? And I'm like, I'm just a fucking guy who likes weird <laughs> shit. Like, I'm, I'm pretty smart. I can figure most of it out for myself without yeah. having to pay someone to do it. <laughs> just a fucking guy who likes weird shit. Yeah, Good for stuff. sure. Guys. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, John. That was great. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. John Tenney gracing us there um, with one of the coolest fucking interviews ever. That was outstanding. Yeah. Fuck. Like, I... Like, I, I'm still, like, me. I'm I, still over here. The, the interview's over. I'm still, like, fangirling over here. I can't even fucking talk. Well, and you know me. I don't really get worked up about the big name people in the paranormal world. I, I don't do. really follow them. I follow um, the shit out of them. And, but he... He's a little bit different in the sense that I've been following him for a long time and I right. respect him. And I think that he doesn't wobble on his beliefs when it comes to money in his face. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I think he would just as soon tell somebody to fuck off, you know? Like, it'd be well, perfect. he did that. I mean, yes. We didn't even get to it. He walked off the set of the uh, Paranormal State new class. The new class, yes. Yeah, because they asked him to trump up, not trump up, but maybe if something exciting could happen, and they wanted him to do something, and he just walked off. He's like, nah, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and you got to respect the guy for, that does that, especially in this field. You know what I mean? He's not trying to over-sensationalize fucking anything, which is good. And I think we need more of that. So, Absolutely. But yeah. Extra special thanks to Mr. John E.L. Tenney for, for joining us. Oh, I forgot to ask him. Uh, it, it may just be middle names. Do you know what E.L. stands for? Couldn't tell you if I tried. Oh, God, I forgot to ask him. We'll have to ask him <laughs> next time. <laughs> we will ask him. I have I have a feeling that we're going to be doing something with Mr. Tenney fairly soon. No, maybe, I like maybe, a, maybe I a couple a little, things. Maybe a couple oh, things. Yeah. I was a little starstruck. Which is weird for me. I gotta tell you, buddy. Like, it's pretty outstanding shit. I'm not gonna lie. Mm. Pretty outstanding. Kudos, kudos to me for setting that. <laughs> 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 Little pat on the back. You also get the credit for uh, 
for Barry Fitzgerald, who we have coming up in just a few short weeks yeah, here. So. It will be episode, I believe it's 97? 97, 96. Yeah, I'm telling you. Two. Look at Next week, we are going to be talking about chemtrails and weather modification. Yeah, biatch. And then the week after that, we will be interviewing Adnan from UFO Hub, which will be... He's not just about UFOs. So. No, I got to tell you, man, this guy, I oh, I must have talked to him for at least two hours. Solid two hours. Yeah. So, yeah, we're, we're, really, we're really booked up. Then the next week after that is Barry Fitzgerald. That'll be a good And then the week after that is our 100th episode. Booyah. Then That'll we be have fun. Brandon Callahan, which is a local Kansas City author that will be speaking at the conference. I then we have another you. conspiracy week. <laughs> yeah. And Stephen Lachance in May. Chris Sutton, which will also be speaking at the conference in May. And then, of course, our monthly conspiracy show. We just got all sorts of fun shit going on. Mm-hmm. And Jason and I have got some fun shit uh, in the works as well. Yeah, we recorded part of our premium content last night. Yes, actually. we did premium content it's going to be coming at you coming at you very soon so everybody stay in tuned to face. that <laughs> all up in your face <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well i tell you what i hope you guys have a great fucking weekend we'll talk to you all very very soon peace out